Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes from DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number 16 as we continue our look through the original Legion of Superhero comics, this time from late 1963. Next up from Adventure Comics number 315 is the Legionnaires Super Contest Part 1 and Part 2, The Winner of the Super Tests. Now this is written by Edward Hamilton. We got art by John Forte. This is from December 1963. And this is a 16-page story, eight pages in each of the two parts. The first part has a full-page interior cover and then has a third of a page ad there at the end. The second part has about two-thirds of a page interior cover at the start of it and about a third of a page of an ad there at the end. So really, we're talking more like a little under 14 pages all said and done. Now, this is... It's it's a Legion of Superheroes story, but it features as much the substitutes as the Legion itself. Now, unlike a lot of the sub-stories where there's like a framing sequence where the Legion kind of goes off and has some off-screen adventure while the subs are focused on the story, that happens, but in short order, the Legion comes back and is a full part of the story, even though it's still focusing heavily on the subs. Now, in Part 1, they introduce the Universe Monitor which is this wild wall contraption thing with a bunch of monitors on it, and they're monitoring Earth and Wind World and Tree World and Ring World and, I don't know, maybe a Fire World or something. And it's, it's kind of their trouble monitor. And they got it from the grateful scientists of the world, Thar. Now, I'm not sure, but I think Thar is going to come back later as the home planet of one of the Fatal Five, I think. But I'll... Hopefully remember to check that when we get to those characters down the line. Now, since nothing's going on on any planet at the moment, the Legion heads off to a law enforcement convention. They're there, and of course, some evil aliens know this, so they decide to go attack Earth because they need glass. They live on a planet where it just doesn't exist. They want to make poison gas for conquest, so they're going to seize the glass from Earth while the Legionnaires are out. And they're projecting a peaceful image of Metropolis to this universe monitor, or overriding, I guess, jamming the transmission from the universe monitor that the Legionnaires are are checking with these wrist monitor things they've got, which I don't know that we ever see again, but it's kind of, you know, a Dick Tracy kind of from the future sort of thing. And these aliens basically are shattering the glass and vacuuming it up. Now, as is often the case when the Legion is off-world doing other things, the subs realize there's a problem, and they go into action. Sure enough, they do that, and they're pretty much all able to contribute to defeating these aliens and such, except Stoneboy, who at this point is not treated as a joke, but as a person whose powers just isn't of much use in a lot of cases. That's our first sign of he's going to be important later in the story. Now, even though the wrist monitor shows everything's fine on Earth, Superboy uses his telescopic vision to check and realizes there is an invasion, so he's going to check it out at super speed, at which point he encounters the subs, wondering who are they, and they, well, we're Legion of Subs, we're filling in when the Legion's busy. Now, 
some of this stuff is almost that slideshow, not almost, it is that slideshow mentality, where, well, we get a couple of panels of the subs going into action. It's like one panel is, is oh, there's the alien invasion. Another panel is Firelad and Polar Boy disabling two of the ships. Another panel is Night Girl taking out another ship. Another panel is Chlorophyll Kid and Stoneboy guarding the aliens. And another panel is Superboy, oh, I should go check Earth. Next panel, he's there talking to the subs. It's a very quick, you miss a panel, you've missed a scene, effectively. Not always, but pretty much. Because that panel, after Superboy is first talking to the subs, the Legion's having a meeting, and it's a, what are you going to do about them? It's like, oh, they look familiar. We've rejected them. And we get a quick recap of everyone's powers. So Polar Boy, Night Girl, Fire Lad, Chlorophyll. Well, their powers and their origin. And they skip Stone Boy, and he's like, oh, you forgot about me. And he gives his own kind of a thing. Again, underscoring almost that inferiority complex the character has, or arguably should have, the way he's treated in these stories. Now, the Legion knows they've rejected all of them, but they form their own Legion, they're trying to help out, and the Legion really respects that they're trying to, to do good and whatnot, so they not only kind of give the subs permission to continue, which is a little odd, they shouldn't need the permission of the Legion to continue, but they want it anyways, and they get it, but they offer to take one of the, the subs into the Legion, and it's like, well, which one? Well, let's have a contest. And what they do is they pair each sub up with a, a Legion sponsor and then go assign each of these subs a mission that's anywhere from hard to impossible, depending how you look at it. Now, the sponsors, while they accompany the sub on the mission, generally don't do a whole lot, so it doesn't really matter who's paired with who. Polar Boy is assigned to thaw out some frozen scientists. And, of course, his power is to freeze things, not to thaw things. He's like, how do I do this? So, he's paired with Sunboy, who, of course, could just solve the problem no problem. He's got superheat or whatnot. Although they've said the scientists have been exposed to every heat source imaginable and nothing's working. So, Polar Boy basically flies them into a volcano, and he's using his powers to keep himself from frying. They thaw out, and then he uses his powers to protect them as, as they get out of there. Which is, you know, clever, but I can't imagine the volcano produced a hotter heat or a different kind of a heat than anything the other scientists could produce to, to try to thaw them out. Maybe they were trying a lower temperatures to not burn them to a crisp. I don't know. So anyways, Polar Boy does pretty well. End of, of part one with Night Girl being next and a, hey, I got nothing against Polar Boy, but this is my chance to be near Cosmic Boy. I must win. It's a little over the top, but makes sense. And fits what they've established with the character. We get to part two. This time the uh, interior cover is that basically Night Girl is going to have to fight Sun Woman. And of course that's not, not going to work well. Now of course the planet she's got to do that are is uh, Venar, which has a... The, the planet doesn't rotate, or it rotates such that one side is always facing the sun, and the other side is always night. And of course, as one might imagine, Sun Woman is on the sun side, and in daylight, Night Girl doesn't have powers, so this is going to be a pretty tough thing for her to do. Superboy is her sponsor, and of course, he could probably solve the problem without any real issue, but he wants to, you know, give Night Girl a chance, because it's... Her, her intro into the Legion, or chance to get in. But he's worried she's so determined that, you know, it could cause a problem. 
Now, it turns out some woman has some kind of harness that's absorbing the solar power to supercharge her body and such. So just as Night Girl is powered at night, Sun Woman is powered in daylight, Night Girl goes up to her and says, Oh, you must stop. And she's like, Yeah, nothing doing. Guards throw her in the dungeon. Now, of course, that's pretty much what Night Girl wanted because she has powers in the dark. So she gets into the dungeon on the sun side of the planet. She's now in dark. Her powers kick in. She goes, she organizes the natives and basically has them burn some black rocks in fires, which causes a huge amount of black smoke, which, of course, is going to block out the sunlight, depower Sun Woman, empower Night Girl, Night Girl defeats Sun Woman, no problem. So, looking good. Next mission, Chlorophyll Kid, he has to split a mountain behind which there's water from a lake that needs to come to this side to supply the people who need it. And he's like, how do I split a mountain? I grow plants. He gets up to the top of the mountain, looking around. He's like, this thing is solid rock, other than this little plant at the top, growing in some crack in it. He's like, oh, that gives me an idea. He goes, gets some seeds for giant redwoods, grows them, cracking the mountain, and does it presumably a couple of times to cause a a rift in the mountain that the water can flow through. So, did pretty well. Now it's Fireboy's chance. They take him to an asteroid where it is always raining and says, these locals have never had fire. Your, your job is to give them a permanent fire. He tries to burn a tree. It's too wet. It doesn't burn. But he realizes that there is oil in the water, in the river and stuff. It's like, oh, that's odd. And he basically drills a small oil spout or whatever, because there's oil just below the surface here, lights that on fire, that gives them permanent fire in that one spot. That suffices, and now it's on to, to Stone Boy. Now, about the only time in this issue I think Cosmic Boy is seen is at that point basically saying that Stone Boy, you know, his, his power, he can't do much. We gotta test him anyways, but, you know, we'll see. So once again, let's trivialize his powers, make him seem like he shouldn't even be in the subs, which I think kind of telegraphs the ending, but we gotta test him anyways. He's got to stop a dangerous Rantak beast from ravaging a, a nearby village. So he digs a pit, he's covered it with branches, he's trying to lure the thing into it so it'll fall in there and, and be trapped. And of course, he's using himself as bait because he can turn to stone and while the thing tries to gnaw on or whatever, he, he's impervious. That's great. He just needs to do it one more time to get the thing into the, the trap. But the beast notices the villagers and is starting to go after him. And he's like, oh, I can't risk them. Saturn girl, I give up. Use your telepathy. Repel the Rantak, which she does. And he's like, oh, I quit the test. I failed. Whoa, I am a loser which is kind of his, uh, feels like his mantra at times. We get back, they're using their computational machine to see who did the best, and we wind up with a tie for second place between Polar Boy and Night Girl, only a point differentiating Chlorophyll Kid and Fire Lad, with Fire Lad at the bottom, and Stone Boy, surprise, surprise, winning outright because his spirit of self-sacrifice, along with his ingenuity and courage, gave him the highest score, and... He can be a member of the Legion. Now, the other subs are happy for him, but sad he'll be leaving them. And he realizes, oh, but I don't want to leave my friends, and turns down the membership. 
but this basically establishes the subs as a known quantity for the Legion of Superheroes and them having good relations between the two teams, which in past stories wasn't the case. Often it wasn't the real Legion who was having the bad blood, but still it was it was something that, that built into the inferiority complex for the subs, and this, I think, kind of squelches that to a degree. Ultimately, other than the Legion learning about the subs, having offered membership to Stoneboy and him turning it down, nothing really changes. Decent story, again, 16 pages and such. If you're in for the subs, absolutely recommend it. Otherwise, not saying it's a critical story. But I enjoyed it. A lot happens in this, as is often in the case of these earlier stories. So once again, that was the Legionnaires Super Contest and the winner of the Super Tests from Adventure Comics 315. Next up, also from Adventure Comics 315, is the Titanic Boy of Steel. Now, in this story, Clark starts out in his uh, workshop creating a small robot. He's just trying to get the idea down because, as Superboy, he promised to make a giant robot for the school play of Jack and the Beanstalk, but he gets a, a message on his signal lamp from the president, or telling him to go to his... his I guess his radio or whatever, and the president's basically saying, hey, there's a cyclotron that's going to blow up. We need you to prevent the explosion. He does that. He needs something, though, to kind of cork the cyclotron's barrel. And he decides to use some red kryptonite, which I think is a very questionable decision. Of course, it facilitates the story, so it makes sense in that regard. But Superboy apparently keeps samples of red kryptonite in lead boxes and has them labeled as to what they do. Now, one of them gave Superboy, but not Crypto, amnesia. Another one turned Crypto into stone, but not Superboy. Another one gave Superboy, but not Crypto, beast-like qualities. Another one reduced Superboy and Crypto to doll-like size. But he's like, hey, these things last for 48 hours, and the effects of red kryptonite can never work twice on a Kryptonian. So I guess the same piece can't have that same effect on somebody else. But he knows having these things is handy, because if he needed to shrink another Kryptonian, he could use that for that purpose. Now, it's also a Kryptonian metal, so using it to plug the cyclotron, I guess, made sense. Although you could think, do something else. And unsurprisingly, as he's flying out of there, he's like, ooh, I'm getting this tingling sensation, but it shouldn't be the Red K. It can't affect me twice. And overnight, he wakes up and he's starting to grow. Like, knock out the side of the house, kind of grow, have to remove the roof of the house to get out that way. Now, he's doing that, and the scale of him in the house, there's like no room for anything else, like a bottom floor or even a basement or anything, because he's like filling the whole place. So definitely they took some liberties with reality as to how they drew this, as should be expected. And Superboy's is going around doing his regular thing, but Flying at his size is creating hurricane velocity winds, causing problems for planes. You know, he's able to stop bank robbers by just picking up their car. Lana sees that and says, aha, if Superboy's a giant, if Clark shows up as a giant, obviously they're the same person. So it's a bit of a secret identity story. Well, that doesn't play a huge part in it. It's much just a standard Red K kind of a storyline of how does he deal with this and what are the challenges he has doing kind of standard rescues, like somebody's pinned underwater, he dives down to go get them, 
but he's creating a tidal wave. So he's got to go kind of then block the tidal wave, which isn't a big deal at his size. But he's still got to figure out what to do about all of this, because the Red K is going to last for another day or two, as it usually does. Now, Superboy winds up playing the role of the giant instead of having to make a robot, and at the end of the performance, conveniently right after he's done his part, the Red K wears off, which is faster than usual. Now, fortunately, everybody is in the theater and nobody sees Superboy shrinking. He hightails at home to get there before Lana checks in on him, and he's like, oh yeah, I've just been busy at homework. Now, he winds up going with Lana when they hear a radio report about the giant Superboy having to, to fix a, a weakened bridge, and she's like, oh, we can get photos from a helicopter for the school paper. Now, how they have access to a helicopter on this kind of notice, I don't know, but he goes in, and of course, Superboy is there at giant size, telling everyone to stay back, I've got to weld the break in the bridge with my heat vision, which Superboy quickly realizes what's going on, and that it's Colossal Boy, so he's able to use the the window in the airplane for taking the photos to kind of shoot his heat vision from and weld the bridge back together from there. And then elsewhere, Colossal Boy says, yeah, I was watching you on the time monitor, saw you were in a jam, head back here with a stretchable Superboy costume and a mask that we keep in the clubhouse for such emergencies, so I thought I'd help out. So Colossal Boy is in costume for like the final panel of the story, and that's it. And in Superboy costume for basically just that page, you know, a panel on the page before it, and that's it. So it's not really a Legion story per se. I was already covering the issue anyway, so I figured why not. It does have a Legion appearance, but not a whole lot to say. Really, the only other thing is Lana was like, oh, I, I see Clark and Superboy at the same time. I still think I'm being tricked, because of course she's never going to believe they're not the same person. But really, that's all there is to the story. So once again, that's the Titanic Boy of Steel from Adventure Comics 315. Next up from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 73, is Jimmy's Interdimensional Romance. This'll be quick. The Legion involvement is basically Ultra Boy shows up for a panel to drop off some sort of wedding gift for Jimmy uh, from the Legion of Superheroes. The basic plot of this is a criminal from the seventh dimension is stalking Jimmy, pretending to marry him. She wants to capture him and keep him as a trophy, I guess. And by turning him into a statue and whatnot, it's just another one of Jimmy's zillions of, of wacky adventures. And again, literally, Ultra Boy shows up for a panel of, hey, here's a gift, and that's it. So really not a whole lot to talk about here. I'm pretty sure this is just one of the many, you know, forgettable stories of, of Jimmy Olsen. Eh, forgettable, it's not, it's a bad story. It's that he goes through so many crazy, wacky adventures at this point that a lot of them just don't stand out from the rest because, again, there's just so many of them. So I'm including it here just for completeness. Again, that's Jimmy's interdimensional romance with a one-panel cameo by Ultra Boy from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 73. Next up from Action Comics number 307 is Supergirl's Wedding Day. Now, this is written by Leo Dorfman. We've got art by Jim Mooney. This is December 1963. 
This will be another quick one. A Phantom Zone villain escapes. He wanted to go destroy Superman, of course, but plan goes awry, can't do it. So he's basically going to torment Supergirl by marrying her, thereby tarnishing Superman's legacy by being associated with a supervillain. It's it's crazy logic and whatnot, and it almost works if it weren't for those meddling legionnaires. What happens is basically Saturn Girl disguises herself as Supergirl, steps in for the marriage ceremony, which makes it illegal, I guess, by Kryptonian law, because it wasn't who he thought it was, and sends this this guy into the future versus, I guess, just back to the Phantom Zone. It, it all comes down to, at the beginning, Supergirl getting tricked into doing some stuff that opens a small hole in the Phantom Zone. He escapes. He tries to get to... This guy's name is Toran. Tries to, he gets into the, the fortress, but before he can use the Phantom Zone projector to free the other Phantom Zone villains, one of the robots destroys it. He basically blackmails the Kandorians into kind of helping out. Quick recap of him being this really bad guy, and the wacky romance subplot ensues. And this is one of the many who does Supergirl marry sort of stories. One of the many, you know, Legionnaires coming back from the future just to help uh, Superman or Supergirl or Superboy out uh, out of a pinch. And Toran winds up a prisoner in a kryptonite cage somewhere in the future. I don't know if we ever see this guy again or not. I actually would kind of have figured he would have been specified as having been to the Legion's time, and, you know, we could have seen him there. I don't know if that ever happens, like I said. It's another one-off kind of Supergirl story. I don't know that it gets referenced anywhere else or not. Saturn Girl's involvement is all of, I don't know, a page or two, and that's it out of 13 pages, so not a whole lot. Nothing that really impacts the Legion continuity whatsoever. So once again, that's Supergirl's Wedding Day from Action Comics number 307. Next up is Adventure Comics 316 and the Renegade Superhero Part 1 and the Renegade Superhero Part 2, The End of a Super Trader. This is written by Edmund Hamilton. We've got art by John Forte. This is in January 1964, so we're finally in another new year. This is a 19-page story. Nine pages are the first part, and that includes a full-page interior cover. And the second part goes for 10 pages. It's got a a kind of a a two-thirds page interior cover, but it kind of feels like it's also part of the story, so... It's hard to know whether those should really be counted as story pages or not. It's telling a scene from the story at about the midpoint, so it fits, but I think it's it's not part of the story. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's Whether it's 18 pages, 19 pages, or 17 and a third, it's roughly the same length. Now, this story has Superboy flying in from the past. He's there for a special ceremony or whatever, but has to rush right back. And that's so he can be part of the story, but not too much of the story. Now, when he gets there, the Legionnaires are training, because again, at this point in time, there's usually a couple of panels of them just doing stuff. It doesn't really fit to the story, but is building out the world and their characters and stuff like that. And the ceremony he's there for is a memorial for Prody, who gave his life to bring back Lightning Lad. And Lightning Lad has created a statuette of Prody out of gold that Element Lad created, and 
it's a nice little thing to kind of remind us of some of the backstory. Now, we find that there's some raiders making some thefts. They've stolen a solar power station, some universium, which is a, a rare hard metal. Curious if we ever see that again. And other things implying they're kind of creating either a scientific weapon or something of the sort. Superboy and Ultra Boy are searching for them with their Superboy's X-ray vision, Ultra Boy's Penetra vision, and that cues a nearly full-page recap of Ultra Boy's origin, his powers, and whatnot, which, given he's going to be the uh, super traitor of said story, it makes sense to kind of give us the backstory. And again, at this point in time, they weren't assuming that the readers understood everything about the character or really anything about the character. So again, I like the accessibility that they went for at this point in time. Now, the Legion doesn't really have any great leads, so they decide to go through the criminal records of the science police, and we only see two of the records that they're kind of shooting up on what looks like a canon version of a slide projector or whatever. It looks, if, if you had had that thing shooting, you know, energy bursts at a character or whatnot, it, it looks like a small tank is what I'm saying. Anyways. Olin Jor, native of Thar, who has super hypnotism, is the first criminal. And again, Thar was mentioned just a few comics ago. So I don't know if they're trying to reuse the planets or have some continuity like that, but, but it's kind of nice. The next picture is of Ran v Varl of Rambor, who looks exactly like Ultra Boy. Like, oh, that's surely got to be just a coincidence. Uh, we'll check fingerprints and other stuff like that. It can't possibly be him. And they check it, and sure enough, it is. So, Ultra Boy is an escaped criminal. He can't stay in the Legion, can he? They put it up to a vote. And looking at the voting board, aside from Phantom Girl who abstains, it looks like it's unanimous, and he's getting expelled. We then have a panel, which is what they used on the cover of Superboy and Lightning Lad, kind of toasting his, his insignia. Which is interesting because he's one of the few that actually have an insignia. And that was the same insignia that Marlowe was wearing when Ultra Boy first showed up. So it implies there's a backstory to that, kind of like it's the Superman symbol or has that level of meaning. Now, most of the Legion doesn't have insignias. I mean, Sunboy has a sun, Saturn Girl has a Saturn. But beyond that, I'd be a little hard-pressed to name any other Legionnaire other than Superman or Superboy and Supergirl that have an insignia. Anyways, they burn that off and it's like, oh, you fools, I vow revenge kind of a thing. Because the Legion doesn't learn that, you know, throwing somebody out is just inviting them to become a super criminal, which is exactly the, the path this story is on because, you know, Superboy's got to go head back to his time to go do something. And they never say what that something is, but it's excuse to get Superboy out of the story. And as soon as he's gone... Ultra Boy basically flies off. Now, they call Monel, who's got similar powers, except he can use all of them at once, whereas Ultra Boy could only use one. So it's like, uh, Monel's catching up. Better switch from super speed to super strength before he grabs him. And they're fighting near the space beacon of the Metropolis spaceport, which is this huge tower with this jewel looking thing on top. And of course, Monel slams Ultra Boy into the base of it. Which kind of knocks it over, so Monel, being the hero, has to go prevent that disaster, giving Ultra Boy time to go grab a spacesuit because he's not invulnerable when he's using super speed, so he needs the spacesuit to go fly out into space. But 
While Monel couldn't follow, he could use his telescopic vision to see where he was headed. So at this point, you know, the Legion's like, oh, we gotta go after him. Phantom Girl is like, oh, come on, some boy, you, you can't be mad at him. He saved your life over on Puppet World. Now, we've seen a reference to Puppet World before, but I don't recall if we saw this scene of Ultra Boy saving Sunboy or not. I, I don't recall that. I didn't go look up where we'd seen Puppet World before. But it was a ploy to, to get some sympathy for him. It's like, but we're heroes. He's now a villain. We have to go after him. So at the end of part one, most of the Legion, I mean, Cosmic Boy and Brainiac 5 are staying back. But the rest are heading out to go chase down this outlaw of Ultra Boy. Now, we pick up the second part. Again, we've got that, that interior cover panel kind of a thing of recapping that Ultra Boy is on the run from the Legion, and then he's heading down into some little-known world. He gets there and has a quick discussion with what looks like some monsters. I mean, these actually kind of look sort of like some of the monsters we may have seen before. I mean, one of them is like a, a cylindrical cylinder triangle kind of a thing. Another one has, you know, three eye stalks. Another one just has a lot of tentacles and such. And they're like, hey, we're not monsters. We were human. We volunteered for this experiment. And the scientist, like, swapped our uh, minds into these bodies. And he can't reverse it. And Ultra Boy's like, well, let me see if I can help. And when we meet the scientist, who's got green skin, but doesn't seem to be a Kaluan, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm duplicating this experiment once done by a Kryptonian criminal. Now, there's an asterisk and a footnote, and it's a footnote to Supergirl's wedding day that I kind of glossed over before because the Legion involvement was just Saturn Girl showing up impersonating Supergirl for a bit. But one of the things I didn't mention, and in hindsight, if I'd known this was coming, I would have, was when the Kryptonian Phantom Zone villain was telling Supergirl his backstory, he was doing it with a thought casting device with the, oh, this will share memories, but really it will allow him to implant a false narrative. So it was a, a thought-casting device, or a, a thought-transfer device is what they called it. Ultra Boy looks at it, it's like, yeah, my knowledge isn't quite enough for this, but, you know, Monel could help you out with this, uh, that Axomites have mastered biophysics and stuff. And he's one of the people searching for me. Now, at this point, we cut to the Legion kind of still off looking, and Sunboy, and this is in character for Sunboy, but he basically asks Saturn Girl, Hey, how come you never noticed he was really an escape criminal and such? I mean, you're telepathic and such. And, and Saturn Girl does the, well, I don't pry into others' minds, and the, he must have trained himself to keep that thought out of his mind, defenses and whatnot. And it's a little rude of some boy to be, not accusing, but you know what I mean. Phantom Girl's there, and it's like, yeah, I think I know Alter Boy's going to end up, but I'm going to keep that knowledge out of my thoughts, because, again, Saturn Girl's right there. So they check in with Cosmic Boy and Brainiac 5, it's like the Marauders, the Raiders, they haven't been seen. Maybe they're using the stuff to create weapons. Don't know. Cut to Monel, and he sees Ultra Boy running back into a building. And Ultra Boy's running into the lab with the scientists and the, the, the guys and the monsters. And he's like, hey, the guy chasing me, he can solve your problem. So when Monel pursues into the building, it's like he gets stopped by the scientist. Hey, these guys are in despair because they're stuck in monsters. Can you help them? It's like, oh, I gotta go after Ultra Boy, but if this is a matter of life or death, it's like, yeah, I don't think it's that urgent, but okay, he's a hero, he's gotta save them, gotta help out. And it's like, okay, your mind exchanger, here's how it's broken, I can fix it, take a little time. This gives Ultra Boy time to go back into a spacesuit and take off again. Monel is able to fix these guys, they also seem to be green-skinned, 
don't seem to be Kaluans, although they could be. I mean, I would think most Kaluans would be smart enough not to do this kind of, you know, hey, I'll sign up for an experiment or whatever. Anyways, it's funny because if it wasn't for the green skin, you could basically take that panel and swap these guys out and it would look like just guys at a science experiment back in, you know, 20th century Smallville with Superboy there instead of Monel. Okay, the monsters would be hard to explain, but still. Anyways, Monel's like, hey, Ultra Boy knew that was going to slow me down, but I-, I had to do it. And I think it's Element Lad who chimes in with, that's our handicap. I mean, he knows our weaknesses, he knows how to evade us, he knows how to play us, but we still got to go chase him down. Cut to Ultra Boy out in space. He switches his Ultra Energy to the Penetravision, sees the ship coming, knowing Saturn Girl is doing some probably tracking him with his thoughts. And sure enough, we cut to Saturn Girl. He's like, oh, he's thinking of this kind of a world. So they go ahead to that kind of a world. He's not there. And it's like, yeah. Ultra Boy probably realized that's what we were going to do. So he sent a false thought and misled us. Meanwhile, Ultra Boy is on some world with crystals and such, hiding there, figuring, oh, they've probably already landed, but still. And Chameleon Boy comes across him. He's like, hey, you know, if you try to flee using super speed, you're vulnerable to my ray gun. To which Ultra Boy basically says, yeah, I'm just going to fly off. That's, that's not a ray gun. That's Prote 2 imitating a weapon. And sure enough, it is. Now, I would have liked to see this play out a little bit different and have Prote 2 actually have just, you know, at that point, come up beside Chameleon Boy, wave, say, hey, it's not me. Because, I mean, Chameleon Boy doesn't need Prote to pose as the weapon. It's a ray gun he's holding. He could just shape his hand in that form. But anyways, this allows us to go, you know, hop to another planet. And this time, Saturn Girl caught just enough of a, a, a flash of what the planet was to think, okay, we just got to find, you know, an orange-colored planet with the strange place of illusions. Doesn't understand it, but it's something to go on. And Phantom World's like, yeah, I figured he was going to go to Mirage World. Cut to a one-panel flashback where... Phantom Girl is talking to him, saying, don't you consider it strange because I can become an insubstantial phantom? He's like, ah, oh, no, no. Someday I'll take you to Mirage World. There's this city of great phantoms and stuff like that. And this is really establishing those two becoming an item later. And at this point in the Legion, other than these two and Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl, we haven't really been pairing up the, the romantic entanglements too much. Well, I guess Cosmic Boy and Night Girl was set up. Anyways, they're still going after Ultra Boy... They check back in with Earth, nothing going with the Raiders. They get to what I guess turns out to be Mirage World. They don't really label it as such. And it's like, we're not finding him. Well, he's certainly not down in this area where all those big monsters are. But let's go look, you know, elsewhere on the planet. Because Saturn Girl has a telepathic feeling he's here. Phantom Girl flies off saying, hey, it may be disloyal to Legion, but I've got to go warn him. And she knows that those monsters they saw are just projected illusions. She gets there. She tells Ultra Boy, hey, I'm warning you to leave. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't have come. You're in danger. And they get pulled up by the same strange tube of force that we'd seen early in the story with the theft of the solar generator and stuff like that. And it's funny because when they show the ship it's on, which is the first time we're seeing it here near the end of the story, it really looks like it would make that ship hard to fly because this thing is like a turret on the bottom of it that is, I don't know, half the size of the rest of the ship. So just seems a little weird. Anyways, we finally meet the Raiders. They are aliens that are long, tall, with like 
four tentacly arm type things. And they're like, okay, we're going to go, you know, conquer Earth, but we're worried about the Legion. You, as a former Legionnaire, now a hunted outlaw, join us and we'll split the loot. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Why should I help them? They're hunting me down. And of course, Phantom Girl's not too happy about that, but okay, I'll go show you the secret weapons of the Legion and how to use them. Ultra Boy takes them back to the Legion clubhouse, leads them through the various defenses and stuff like that into the the place that's got this secret weapon that's a, a freezing force that'll plunge anything within a mile into an icy coma. And he then turns it on and it freezes the aliens because it's designed to, re- designed to repel unhuman aliens versus, I guess, human aliens, which kind of makes sense because really the three guys standing in the room, Cosmic Boys from Brawl, Brainiac Fives from Kolu, and Ultra Boys from Rimor. So three human aliens not Earthlings, but it only affects the the non-human aliens. And then we get the recap of a couple of panels of Ultra Boy explaining how he wasn't a traitor, when he spotted the aliens, why he faked a past criminal record by slipping a record literally into the science police files, which look like these big, I don't know, index cards or something like that. It's like it's a big card catalog or computer card kind of a thing. And he did that at, at super speed, figuring, and he can't tell anyone because the alien raiders were monitoring the Legion. They just had their eyes off him for a minute. And and he figures that by turning criminal, they'd want him as an ally that would lure him into a trap. Because if they went and actually attacked those guys, the amount of damage that they could do to Earth would be pretty big. Because they have powerful weapons and stuff. And this was a way to just kind of trick them. Ultra Boy gets... Back into the Legion, they replace his insignia. Actually, Phantom Girl was the honor of doing that. And he's like, oh, I was the first member to ever be expelled from the Legion. I hope I'm the last. End of story. Problem is, he actually isn't the first to get expelled. Back in Adventure Comics 302, Some Boys Lost Powers, Sunboy got expelled and then back in. So, now granted, I don't expect them to keep track of all of that. I don't remember who wrote the other story. I suppose I could go look it up, but I'm lazy. But they're at least trying to have some continuity, trying to tell a fun story, and I think they succeeded in that. We got, you know, 19 pages here, some pretty good stuff. There's a little bit of this end scene of, okay, let me explain what really happened in the story, that I find a little frustrating, but is kind of commonplace, so you just kind of got to roll with that in this era of comics, I think. So, once again, that's the Renegade Superhero Part 1, and the Renegade Superhero Part 2, The End of a Super Trader, from Adventure Comics 316. Next up from Adventure Comics number 316 is the origin and powers of the Legion of Superheroes. There are two parts to this. One is a series of of panels just depicting the various members of the Legion. And then there's another page at the end, which is a typewritten text page, just kind of explaining who they all are. Now, the first two pages of art out of the four are from the Superman Annual number four from a while back. I think that was 1962, and that covered up through Sunboy, so just the first 12 characters. And now we get, in addition, Superboy, Lightning Lass, Starboy, Monel, Ultra Boy, Matter Eater Lad, Supergirl, Prody 2, which is an interesting one because I don't really consider him a member of the Legion. He's often dumped with the Legion of Super Pets. We also get Element Lad, Elastic Lad, I don't remember, and then the Legion of Super Pets. 
of Super Monkey, Crypto, Super Horse, and Streaky. Again, I would normally put Prody there too. Not that he's really a pet. I think when you start talking pets and stuff in a superhero futuristic venue, it gets a little dicey. Anyways, we get just a paragraph or so at most on these characters on the thing, which is, it's a nice thing. It's an early version of like a who's who kind of a thing. And it really does kind of point out that a couple of these characters, Triplicate Girl doesn't get seen a whole lot at this point. Shrinking Violet is a member in the Invisible Kid, but again, unless they're featured in the story, they're just kind of forgotten. Lightning Lass is really in the background. Starboy has barely been seen. Matter Reader Lad got inducted and then forgotten, it seemed like. So, and part of it is when you've got 20-ish members, you can't keep all of them in every story, nor should you, but you need to rotate through them a little bit better than I think they have been. I think some of the characters like Sunboy get a little bit more to the forefront, and a few of the others just get quickly forgotten. Anyways, it's a total of five pages, four pages of art, one of text. It's a nice kind of a who's who thing. Again, it's just an updated version of what they did in the uh, Superman Annual Number 4 a few years earlier. So once again, that's the origin and powers of the Legion of Superheroes from Adventure Comics 316. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.